Right, good. <clears throat> good morning, everyone. Uh, let me please add my greetings to everyone and a very Merry Christmas to everyone that is joining us this morning, both here at Honey Ridge and also online later today for the service. Uh, it's a joy for me to be able to bring God's word this morning, so a special thank you as well to the elders and to, uh, to Clinton for, for an opportunity to come and uh, share with my home family church. This morning we will be uh, going through a very simple verse, a verse that is very well known. Uh, so won't you please grab your Bibles and turn to John chapter 3 and verse 16, and I'll be reading from the Christian Standard Bible. John 3 and 16. For God loved the world in this way. He gave his one and only Son, so that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. Let's come to God and pray. Dear Father God, we come before you this morning with thanksgiving and praise. And I ask, Lord, that as we gather to pray, to sing, and to hear from your word, that you would speak to us. We ask that you would encourage our hearts this Christmas morning with the truth of the giving of your one and only Son. And we thank you that in your steadfast love you chose to send Jesus to the earth to be born of a virgin, to live, to suffer, and to die in our place, that those who believe might be forgiven and have eternal life. We ask, Lord, for you to pour out your Spirit over us over this Christmas day, and that even today some might celebrate their very first Christmas as Christians. Please, Lord, we desire to see conversions. Grant us joy as we continue in your presence this morning, and would you see fit to teach us, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. So as I was saying, our time, <clears throat> our time together this morning will be, sent, will be spent in a very short but very well-known verse, but I do hope that beyond our own familiarity with this verse, that by the work of God in our hearts and in our minds, we would come away with a deeper appreciation and a sense of gratitude for this wonderful day that we call Christmas, and that our own hearts and our own attitudes would reflect the joy in Jesus that we sing of. If you are not a Christian this morning, however, can I ask that you carefully consider what it is that you're doing here this morning. As Christians, when we gather, we believe that the Bible is completely true from cover to cover. We believe that it is without fault, and when we read it, it is actually God's own word speaking to us, and that by it we can really know him. So let me ask you, what is the meaning of Christmas to you? Well, I made the mistake yesterday of going to Clearwater Mall, and it was a mistake. And the meaning of Christmas, according to Clearwater Mall, was traffic, presents, lots and lots and lots of food, and a great time with family and friends. And please don't get the impression that we as Christians are against any of that. In fact, it is God who gives us all good things, and all of those are good things. And for many of us, today will be filled with some of those things. But there's more to today than those things. But if that is all that you've ever known, but you do find yourself at church around Christmas every year, I do hope that your eyes will be opened to the wonderful truth and the meaning of Christmas and why it is that we as Christians gather here not only on Christmas, but every single Sunday to worship our Lord Jesus Christ. If you'd like to chat with any of the leaders in the church, I would invite you to step outside afterwards and just wait, and any of the elders in the church would be more than happy to give of themselves today to be able to share the gospel and to chat with you. It is far more important than anything else that we could do. So what comes to mind for you when you read John chapter 3 and verse 16? For many of us, like myself, it is growing up in youth ministries and children's groups even here at the church, and that verse was really one of those verses that came up time and time again. 
For others, perhaps it was one of the verses that someone spoke to you or read to you when you were led to the Lord through the preaching or the teaching of the gospel. And perhaps if you're not a Christian here this morning, it is that verse that you see on all the coffee coffee cups in the Christian bookstores or on the back of Christian people's cars. But regardless of where our minds go, for we as Christians, every single one of us will confess that this is one of our cornerstone verses. This is a cornerstone verse of the Christian faith. So for us this morning, we will briefly explore this, this one single verse. We're just going to work our way through it, and we're going to look at four points this morning. So please do stay in the Bible, stay in the text with me. And in the first place this morning, then, we will see that what motivated God at Christmas, what the heart of God is at Christmas, is his great love. So our first point is the heart of Christmas, and it's for God loved the world in this way. Now, if you're anything like me and you're slightly confused at what the world calls true love in today's day and age, uh, it really is quite a confusing thing. In one sense, it is permanent and irreplaceable. Take a news cycle where a wife is being interviewed after the losing of her husband during a tragic accident. It is almost shown as an irreconcilable loss. How will she move on? But then in the very next story, there's some worldly uh, professor or secular expert giving advice on how to move on after your last failed relationship. See, the world cannot make sense of true love, and perhaps that's a good thing. I believe that it's actually God's grace that he allows us to see the fumbling in the dark, the, the mistaken attempt that the world has to try and figure out what true love really is. If you think about it, in a world of roughly 7 billion people, the fact that we can't come to a consensus about what real love looks like and that it can't be lived out consistently shows us that true love is really found outside of ourselves. If 7 billion of us can't figure it out, then really it must be found outside of us. John records in the opening of this verse, for God loved the world in this way. So what we're about to see is God's perspective on love. We're about to see what God considers to be a truly loving action and what he thinks about the world. But before we hear any more, before we autofill in the rest of the verse, before we uh, figure out what the rest is going to say, can I ask you to think for yourself, what would you like the rest of John 3.16 to say? What would make sense to you as the rest of this verse? What would prove God's great love to you if you could rewrite the end part of this verse? Perhaps for any young boys and girls here this morning, and for for myself in many ways, it would be, for God loved the world in this way, that for Christmas he gave me a puppy. Perhaps for any new parents here, it would be that my newborn would just sleep through a single night. And perhaps for many of us, it would be to ask God to erase 2020, to undo some of our greatest mistakes, shortcomings, and failures in life, to eradicate world hunger, to bring about world peace, So whatever your version of John 3.16 is, I would like to encourage us with this. Jesus' words are better. Whether it's world peace or a Labrador puppy, when Jesus says God loves us in this way, we will see that the great love that God shows us, the great love that God has decided to set upon us, doesn't actually take into account our greatest desires. It completely discards our natural needs and it gets down to the heart of what we truly need. So what we're about to look at is God's true love, his true heart for Christmas. See, the greatest gift, the most loving action that God could do is about to be revealed in these 21 verses. 
This moves us on to our second point this morning, which is the great cost of Christmas. And this is that he gave his one and only son. I think if each of us were to have filled in a card this morning with our own version of John 3.16, there wouldn't be a single parent in here that would have opted to give up their own child. But let's not forget the first part of this verse. For God loved the world in this way. He wasn't compelled. He chose to love the world in this way. The way that God chose to love is that he gave. How often do we hear of a kind of love today that is slow and passive? Young people posting on their statuses that they, they love their new boyfriend or girlfriend and breaking up two days later. What kind of love is that? What kind of love is it when a marriage is falling apart because the only kind of love that is left is telling one person to do or to do? There is no kind of active love shown from one to another. How can this be called love? But by Jesus' definition here, God steps out of societal norms. He goes beyond the ordinary both 2,000 years ago and even today. He reaches in and he did something. God wasn't passive. He didn't wait to act. God acted first. He didn't react to our need. He acted first. He gave. Not only did God act, but he gave us the most precious gift. His one and only son. And we would do well this morning to dwell for a moment on who Jesus is. In Genesis, God told Eve that her, from her line, an heir would come, and he would be the savior of the world. Isaiah prophesied in chapter 9, verse 6, that for us, sorry, for a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and he will be named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, and Prince of Peace. And as we look forward many years, the angel Gabriel came to Mary and told her about the child that would soon be in her womb, that God had chosen to bring Jesus into the world by her own womb. And in Luke chapter 2, verse 7, it says, And Mary gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him tightly in cloth and laid him in a manger. And we know that his name was to be Jesus. See, the coming of Jesus is recorded for us all over Scripture, but in John especially, we're reminded, and from last week I would encourage you to go listen to Nick Quinn's sermon about the God that we can know. In John, we read in John chapter 1, verse 14, that the Word, and this is Jesus, he became flesh and dwelt among us. Notice that he wasn't created. He's not spoken of as one of the creation. He became, he was born. Jesus came into the world to be known, to make God known, to reflect God's glory, to speak God's truth to the whole world. And John records for us that this same Jesus claimed to be God. In John chapter 10, verse 30, he said, I and the Father are one. In John chapter 8, verse 58, Jesus takes on the Old Testament covenant name for God as the great I am. And his own disciples believed he was the Messiah. Paul likewise believes this when he says in Titus 2, verse 13, that Jesus is our great God and Savior. Peter echoes this in 2 Peter 1 verse 1 where he says, our, this Jesus is our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And he alludes back to the Messiahship, the Old Testament covenant name for the one to come. So this giving of Jesus, God's own son, his only son, God in the flesh, the Savior of the world, is a great gift indeed. But he's only a great gift to those who know that they need him. Like someone who has been diagnosed with cancer, the announcement of a cure is only as good and only brings as much hope 
to someone who is willing to accept the diagnosis. Now may I ask of us who are Christians this morning, something which perhaps will drill into our hearts a bit at this time. Do you still see the great love of God in the sending of Jesus? How sweet to you is Jesus? Is he worth more than this life? Is he worth changing careers for? Is he worth sacrificing for? Is he worth more than any earthly treasure? If your answer this morning is no, that in fact your heart has gone cold to this fact, the giving of the Lord Jesus Christ, can I encourage you today before the busyness of this Christmas day, before the presence, the hustle and bustle, that you take time to come before the Lord in prayer and ask him to set your heart ablaze, that he would renew your heart, that he would encourage your spirit, that he would speak into your life afresh through his word and that you would know once again the great love of God and the great cost that he paid in giving his one and only son. Each of us need this reminder. Whether we've been Christians for two weeks or for 20 years, each of us need this reminder. If you're not a Christian this morning, I'd like to ask you, do you recognize the great cost of someone giving their own son for you? Do you see the great love that it took for a father to set his own son to, to give Jesus so that you might be saved. See, God did not hesitate. He didn't wait for us to fix ourselves. He didn't wait for us to be good enough to save. No, instead, God chose to set his love upon us while we were still sinners. It is only once our eyes are opened and that the Spirit has worked in our own hearts that we can truly begin to appreciate the great cost that, it paid, that was paid by God in sending his only Son Unlike popular Christian music nowadays, God's love is not reckless. He did not send Jesus into the world to merely hope to see a people come to him. No, in fact, from the very beginning of time, God set in motion his plan of redemption. And from the very first people, our own ancestors, Adam and Eve, from their own sin, God made known his plan to save a people for himself through the great cost of his own son. See, God's love did not start at Christmas. God's love for his people began when the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit decided to set their own love upon their people and that they would send Jesus Christ to die, to be crucified on a cross, to be hung there for our own sins, that he would be a perfect sacrifice for any who would believe. So what should our response then be to the sending of God's own son? How should we think about this? Well, this will lead us to our third point this morning, which is the great call of Christmas, and that is for whoever believes in him. We must see that the message Jesus preached was not a type of simple believism. He wasn't saying simply believe in me and then carry on living your life however you pleased. Instead, in, chapter, in Mark chapter 1, verse 15, Jesus' very first words recorded at the time of his ministry start with, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God has come near, repent and believe the good news. Likewise, in John chapter 20, verse 31, we read that the, the reason that Jesus chose to do all these miracles was not to get attention from the people, nor was it to simply show a kind of general love. No, instead it was so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Savior, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. 
So therefore, the correct response to God's giving of Jesus is for each of us this morning, if we have not done so already, to repent and believe the gospel. So what does it look like to believe in Jesus? Well, firstly, it is trusting in Jesus. John chapter 12, verse 44, Jesus says, Whoever believes in me, believes not only in me, but in the Father who sent me. So believing in Jesus means believing in who Jesus says he is. It means taking God at his word in his word. It means filling our minds and our hearts with the things of God found in his word which teach us about Jesus. Now you might ask, how can it be that it is simply believing? Well, the reason it is simply believing is because it is not trusting in your own ability to believe. It is trusting in Jesus' ability to save. Secondly, we are to walk like Jesus walked. In John chapter 14, verse 12 and 15, Jesus says, Whoever believes in me will do the works that I do. And if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And we know that each of us, unlike Jesus, were born sinful. We are sinners by nature. So for us to walk as Jesus did, it requires repentance. It requires us to daily turn from our sins. In every moment, to trust in Jesus, to be led by the Spirit, and to walk according to the ways that Jesus walked. And everyone who has truly trusted in Jesus to save them from their sins will have this done. We are told that the Holy Spirit will cause us to walk the way that Jesus walked. See, this is not reserved for the super Christian or the mega church pastor. No, instead, this is for every single believer, for every one of us to become more like Jesus, to begin hating the sin that we once loved and walking in righteousness. But please don't think of us as a kind of cheap love. This is not Jesus saying that he's going to save us, that we can continue walking as we please. No, instead, remember in Mark 1, Jesus said to repent and believe. And if we are truly followers of Jesus this morning, we will live in a certain way. Not to earn God's love, but in fact to show that he has already loved us. Now some might be thinking this morning, how can I trust that believing will be enough? And what if it's not? Now, for us as Christians, we must not write off this question. It is a brilliant question. It is a challenging question. It does us in when we walk away from difficult questions from the world. But this does lead us to our fourth point, and that is God's faithfulness at Christmas. And if we continue in the rest of this verse, it says, For all those who believe, they will not perish, but have eternal life. We must remind ourselves for the very reason, the very reason that God had to send his Son the reason we celebrate Christmas is that we all celebrate the same fundamental problem. We are all born with the same spiritual cancer, this blindness, the sinful nature. And the reason why I say celebrate is that because without the, without the bad news, there would be no good news. If we were not knowing of our sin, if we did not know that we are born this way, if none of us would know the diagnosis, the good news would not be good news. And as Paul says, if Jesus was not resurrected, then we are the most to be pitied because we are still in sin. Therefore, let us eat and drink and die, for that's all we have. But instead, at the very core of our being, our very natures are corrupted. We are, re we are rebels. We're rebellious against the things of God. We hear this bad news in Romans chapter 3, verse 10, where Paul says that there is no one righteous, no, not one. In Romans chapter 3, verse 23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Isaiah 59, verse 2 tells us that our sin has separated us from God. 
Jeremiah 17 verse 10 says, this is God speaking, I test the heart to give to each what his actions deserve. What a frightening thought that God gives us what our actions deserve. And Romans 6 verse 23 tells us that the wages, what we deserve for our sin, that payment is death. And we also must remind ourselves of what God thinks about sin. In Psalm 5 verse 4 to 5 we read, You are not a God who delights in wickedness, and evil cannot dwell with you. The boastful cannot stand in your sight. You hate all evildoers. You destroy all those who tell lies, and the Lord abhors the violent and treacherous people. So then if this is how God feels about sin, and we're all sinners, what confidence can we have in that just trusting, just believing in Jesus is enough? Well, at the end of John 3.16, Jesus' own words give us this encouragement. We will not perish, but have eternal life. See, this is the good news. The way in which God has chosen to love us is in the sending of his Son, that whoever believes that Jesus has paid the price on their behalf. Not only is God's love fully realized in the sending of his Son, the fact that God chose to love us immensely was met in the perfect person of Jesus, but also God's anger against, his wrath against our sin, the just wrath that we deserve, is fully realized against Jesus on the cross. See, God is not out to get his pound of flesh. If you are not a Christian, it is not that God is expecting you to cover yourself this morning. He has faithfully provided the exact remedy to your situation, to your problem, to your sinfulness, the problem of your own heart before a holy God. Therefore, repent and believe the gospel. Trust this morning in Jesus. In Psalm chapter 5, verse 7, we read what David wrote after he recalls the great hatred that God has for sin. And he says this, But I enter your house by the abundance of your faithful love. See, it is not that David knows God's love because he's earned it. It is by God's faithful love, by God's own choosing to set his love upon David, that David is loved. Your believing is not forcing. None of us can coerce God into loving us. Your believing is actually a sign that he already does. Likewise, we read in Romans 6 verse 23 that the wages of sin is death. This payment that we deserve for our own sin, for our own rebellion against God is death. The rest of that verse is so encouraging. It reads, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Notice the personal nature of the end of that verse. Christ Jesus, our Lord. Not Christ Jesus, the Lord. This is not beckoning to some God in the sky, hoping that he will show mercy. This is a personal, loving relationship between the Father, through the Son, by the Spirit, with his people. Friends, God's love at Christmas counts the cost of Christmas. It demands a response at Christmas, knowing that God's faithful love will be shown at Christmas. And it is shown to everyone who believes in Jesus, because they will not be put to shame. For Paul writes in Romans 10, For all who call upon the name of the Lord, all who call upon the name of Jesus, will be saved. Let's pray. O oh God, we thank you this morning for your great love that you have shown in the sending of your Son. 
We confess our hearts can grow cold to the wonder of the sacrifice that you made in sending Jesus to die in our place. We ask, Lord, that you would shatter the commercial fakeness of Christmas and that you would remind us of your great love, the great cost, our response, and your faithful love to all who believe. We thank you for your love poured out in the person of your Son. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.